Hello, Internet friends. I'm Linda, and I'm back. And this is Glenn. It's good to be here, pain and all. I'm so sorry that happened to you, Linda. Linda took a terrible fall down the steps in our den studio area and broke her ankle in two places. She also had a severe tear in her meniscus in her ankle. She had to have surgery, and she's just getting back into the studio. I hope everyone will continue to pray for me during this time of recovery. I am moving around a little using your mini scooter, and it's been a difficult time for me. Thank you for your prayers. It's good to have you back. You were really missed in our studio. This week's song examines a natural change that takes place in the life of a Christian upon conversion. Christ demonstrated the greatest love for us when he went to the cross and suffered our punishment. When we realize our Lord suffered our hell there and purchased our salvation from eternal death, the natural process to happen in response is to love him. We can't help but want more of him. Our desire is to learn more about him and to love him more and desire to serve him and do his will in our lives. Our song this, this, uh, this week is praise and adoration. More about Jesus what I know, more of his grace to others show, more of his saving fullness see, more of his love who died for me. More, more about Jesus, more, more about Jesus, more of his saving fullness see, more of his love who died for me. More about Jesus let me learn, more of his holy will discern. Spirit of God, my teacher be, showing the things of Christ to me. More about Jesus in his word, holding communion with my Lord, hearing his voice in every line, making each faithful saying mine. More about Jesus on his throne, riches and glory all his own. More of his kingdom sure increase, more of his coming, Prince of Peace. More about Jesus is a Christian hymn written by Eliza Hewitt in 1887. The hymn is a prayer for a deeper understanding of Jesus and his teachings. It has been included in hundreds of different hymnals since its completion and continues to inspire many Christians today. The hymn has four verse, verses, each expressing a desire to know more about Jesus and his love. Eliza Hewitt was born in 1851. She graduated as a valedictorian of her normal school class and went on to teach in the public schools there in Philadelphia. A short time later, however, Miss Hewitt had to leave teaching due to a spinal injury. It was told that the injury resulted while she was disciplining a student. The wild boy struck her back with a heavy slate. The painful blow severely injured her back. During her convalescence, she studied English literature. She felt the need to, to be useful in her church and began writing poems for a primary department. When her condition improved, she went out to teach Sunday school and take an active part in the Philadelphia Elementary Union and became superintendent 
of the primary department of a Calvin Presbyterian church. Even though her condition had improved enough for her to work, she still suffered from a lot of pain throughout the rest of her life. In the mid-1880s, Eliza's work came to the attention of John Sweeney, who at the time was an established musician, composer, songbook compiler, and fellow Presbyterian. For at least 10 years, Professor John Sweeney was in charge of the music at Bethany Presbyterian Church and Sunday School in Philadelphia. More About Jesus was one of the first collaborations of Hewitt and Sweeney. The song was first published in 1887 in the hymnal, Glad Hallelujah. Eliza's back condition improved and she was able to resume some of her duties. Though she struggled with the pain the rest of her life, she became a Sunday school superintendent in Northern Home for friend, uh, friendless children, and later at Calvin Presbyterian Church. She died in 1920. During those months of suffering following the injury, Miss Hewitt spent much time with God in prayer and in His Word. She desired to express to others her special relationship with Him. As a result, she began writing poems for children and for Sunday school resources. When the heavy restrictive cast required for her recovery was removed, she is said to have written a hymn, There is sunshine in my soul today. Miss <laughs> Hewitt found that in her time of suffering and rehabilitation, God used something grievous to bring forth blessing in her life. How excited she was to tell others. She wrote, as she wrote this song, she was studying the promises of God that had been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The more she studied, the more excited she became, and she saw Scripture fulfilled in, in every aspect of the life of Jesus. All Scripture she discovered was focused on Jesus Christ. Even though Miss Hewitt's spinal injury took her from the job she had trained for, the months of pain and deprivation served a greater purpose. If she had merely become angry and bitter, God could not have used her as effectively, but because she was discerned that he had a plan for her life and sought him during her difficulty, God was able to reach more people through her hymns than she could have reached in her classroom. It's like that so often, isn't it? When we encounter unexpected or grievous situations, as Miss Hewitt did, we can't understand why with our human senses. We need to ask God to enable us to view things from his perspective. As we draw closer to Jesus and seek to know him more, God will enable us to understand his purpose and why things happen. We read in Luke eight sixteen through 18, After explaining the parable of the sower and the seed, Jesus said, No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel, or puts it under a bed, but sets it on the lampstand, that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore take heed how you hear, for whoever has to him more will be given, that whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken from him. Are you open to what Jesus says? It isn't hidden. 
It'll bring light into your darkness. The real issue is whether you and I are willing to pay attention to what he says and long to know and live what we hear. We may not grasp all of what he says at first, but over time our hearts are open to him and more understanding comes. As the Holy Spirit works in our hearts, as the heart yearns for more and more of Jesus, and as we put into our practice what we know, deeper insight and more perspective in life follows. He will give us insight to open our hearts to deeper things of his truth. Our part is to seek ever deeper knowledge and understanding of his will and to practice daily the truth that we know and offer our future to God. Then trust that as we are receptive and obedient to the words of Jesus, he will open our hearts to know Jesus and his truth more fully. See both truth and grace on display. It is incredible how Jesus never shrinks back from the truth nor for the sake of grace, nor does he offer grace at the expense of truth. We find it easy to believe we are saved by grace, but a careful examination of our lives as well as the harsh assessment of the behavior of the people around us might reveal a legalistic streak full of an idea of truth but lacking grace. God exposes the hardness of our heart and the depths of our pride, yet surprisingly, we never feel more loved. Through life-changing truth about life-giving grace, Jesus transforms us from the inside out. Only God has the power to do that. We have been confronted with the truth of God's Word, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have been changed. As Jesus said in John eight thirty-one through 32 If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. When people know the unchanging truth and unending grace of Jesus, they should know we certainly did not get there on our own. Only the work of the Holy Spirit can truly change our hearts. Throughout his ministry, Jesus taught, and they marveled at his miracles. They called him teacher, healer, prophet, and miracle worker. They stood amazed, but many walked away unchanged. Though these men and women knew about Jesus, they failed to see him as a savior and God in the flesh. Jesus invites us to experience something deeper. He doesn't ask us to know about him. He invites us to personally know him. He does not simply tell us the truth. He is the truth. In John 14, 6, Jesus clarified, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. To know Jesus is to be changed by Jesus. Jesus wants us to share him with others. For those early Christian followers being dramatically changed by knowing Jesus, gave, they automatically told others about Jesus. The men and women believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, and that allowed them to change their thoughts and actions. Every part of their lives, from money to family, looked different. God used a few faithful followers to impact the world for eternity. 
And he continues to work through people like you and me today. In the first chapter of John, we read about two new followers of Christ who had just heard Jesus speak. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They asked him, Teacher, where are you staying? And he answered them, Come and see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. This was about two hours before sunset. That's a true encounter with the Lord Jesus. They had a real desire to be with him. They would not settle for anything less than the very presence of God. As we dwell with Christ, our hearts become open to dwell in his presence always. Mark 8.34 says, When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever, whoever desires to come after me, let him de deny himself, take up the Christ, cross, and follow me. And John said in John 14, 20, Oh, that day you will realize that I am the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Then again in Galatians we read, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, gave himself for me. We read there in John 15:4, Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Christianity is about four more than holding right beliefs and adopting right right behaviors. At salvation, we enter into a union with God now. We have righteousness that comes by faith, and the, that faith justifies us. Before we can come to Christ, our thoughts were different. Before we came to Christ, our thoughts were different. We read in Philippians 3, 7, and 9, But whatever were my gains, and now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost because of the surprising worth of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain. Christ and be found in him, not having my righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which, through faith, is strengthened in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Romans three twenty one through 26 says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. 
God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But we have more. We also have communion with God. We have access to a life-giving, soul-thrilling, joy-producing communion with God through Christ. I think we're witnessing several things today that were written many years ago in the Bible. Seeing what that's happening today in light of those ancient writings gives us a realization and a, to our purpose, to our hope in Christ. It sheds light on the questions that arise about what we need to do in the world around us. The Bible predicts a great falling away of the church that we're seeing today including a large number of people rejecting God altogether, choosing no faith at all. It's a sign of the end times we're warned about in the Bible. Dr. David Jeremiah tells this following story. He said, Imagine writing your first book at the age of 22 and watching it land on the bestsellers list everywhere a few years ago. That happened to an American pastor. His book conveyed biblical advice about love and relationship, and it encouraged thousands of young people to make better choices. This pastor became known for his speaking and writing and counseling, counseling, as well as two decades of pastoral ministry in the local church. Yet somehow and somewhere during those years, his own relationship with God evaporated. In 2019, he announced his marriage had come to an end. Then in a follow-up post on Instagram, he disclosed an even deeper divorce. He wrote, I have undergone a passive shift in deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a, Christ, a Christian, he wrote, I'm not a Christian. Many people tell me that there's a different way to practice faith. And I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. I, like David Jeremiah, feel, feel this, and it cuts to the heart when I hear it because I'm an evangelist. This is happening to more and more pastors than ever before. So, so many seem to be falling away from Christ and his gospel. And I re recently heard online that everyone is leaving the church and nobody knows where they're going. A new word has been created for these defectors. They're no longer called evangelicals, but they're called ex-evangelicals. What is the meaning of this falling away? Is it not really a new thing? It's not really a new thing. Throughout history, there have been many who have taken up the banner of Christ to lay it down again. Even the first generation of Christians faced a challenge like this.
Paul wrote to the Colossians and to Philemon, he sent to them readings from his co-worker Demas, who was at his side. And then in 2 Timothy 4.10, he described him like this, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. It's difficult to read Christian news today, because it seems like every time we do, we read somebody else who's walked away from their faith. Recent statistics tell us more than 72 million millennials in America, almost one quarter of our population, have left the faith. That's an increasingly large percentage of that generation that has walked away from faith of any kind, choosing to identify themselves as non-religious. When you check the questionnaire where it says, Are you a Baptist? Are you a Presbyterian? Are you a Charismatic? Are you a Catholic? And the bottom part says none of the above. That's where they all check none of the above. In 2008, researchers noticed that a third of the millennials describing themselves as religious unaffiliated. And it just 10 years later, the number has grown to 42%. That's more troubling number, isn't it? When Gallup first measured U.S. church members in 1937, the number he came up with then was 73%. In early 1980s, more than 70% of the adults were church members. And in 2000, it was 65%. And by 2010, it was 59%. And now, less than half Americans belong to any kind of local church. The great falling away spoken of in the tribulation will probably not happen all at once. We'll most likely see it prior to the second coming. The core issue here isn't even people falling away from the church or falling away from faith. We're talking about falling away from Jesus himself. What does this mean to us? I think it means the second coming of Jesus is very close. It could happen any second. Right. He said in that last hour, as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming. And even now, many Antichrists have come, of which we can know that it is the last hour. They went out from us. They weren't of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us and become a part of false gospel. He said they went out because they were never part of us. They went out from us, but they were never, they were never of us. How can this happen? How could anyone who has tasted the goodness of Jesus Christ in the church and love God and come, come out and fall away? Let's talk about three things that could happen, and I think they are all happening now. Why do some people get discouraged and walk away from their faith? First of all, some people fall away because they're deceived. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 says it this way. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. According to this passage of Scripture, there are unseen demonic forces that are operating in our world. 
enticing and deceiving people into abandoning their faith in Christ. Their influence, even in the church, will only increase as we draw near to the end of history. It's overcoming to see the deception that's going on within the church. Uh, the passage in First Timothy warns us of false teachers that traffic in lies and hypocrisy. These men and women attempt to cause spiritual damage and manipulate God's people for their own purpose. Paul says they don't even have a conscience anymore. It's been seared. They have lost moral sensitivity and their spiritual compass is broken. That's the reason why some people fall away. They get caught up in a spiritual scam. Some people fall away because they're disillusioned. In Luke 8, Jesus told a parable illustrating the reasons why people fall away from the gospel. You know the parable he said, there was this farmer who went out to sow seed, and he broadcast over a wide area, and some of the seed fell on pathways and on a road where it was trampled down. Other seed fell on a rocky soil. As soon as the plant sprang up, they withered away, having no root. And some seed fell in a thorny patch and were choked by briars. And some of the seed fell on prepared soil, yielding a great harvest. When the Lord's disciple asked him to explain the parable, he revealed that the seed represented the gospel message. Here is Jesus' explanation of what that story means. He said, Those by the wayside are the ones who hear, and the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they shouldn't believe and be saved. But the ones on rocky soil are those who, when they hear and receive the word, and those have no root, and when they they believe for a time, but when temptation comes along, they fall away. Now, ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, heard go out, and they're choked off by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. What Jesus is saying the first reason people walk away from the gospel is the devil comes and takes the word out of their hearts. The second reason Jesus describes is those who hear the gospel and they receive the word with joy. Listen to that. That means they're emotional and these people are genuinely excited about Christianity. They've seen the brokenness of the world and they felt a brokenness in their own spirit. And they know that there must be something better. And these people encounter the truth, and they receive the message with joy, and they're all excited, and they see a pathway to peace and purpose and meaning. It's what they've always been looking for. But stony ground believers have no roots. So when times of testing comes, the Bible says they fall away. Many of these people are not looking for a savior, looking for a solution. They want the problems to go away, and they don't want to surrender anything to get it. They want the blessings of belief without the burden of swimming against the cultural stream. And they like the idea of the gospel, but they lack the personal commitment to Christ. 
sooner or later when they begin to be disillusioned, disenchanted, and disappointed, they fall away. Some people fall away because they're distracted. Verse 14 of Luke 8 says, Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares and the pleasures of life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. Jesus says many fall away simply because they get distracted. When forced to choose between spiritual things, following Christ, and physical cares and riches and pleasures of life, they can't see past their own noses. They allow the pull of desire to lead them. They let go of their faith in order to grab all that the world has, and they grab with both hands. That leaves no hands to grab onto Jesus with. Now, nobody wants to be among those who fall away. Nobody wants to do that. It's nobody's purpose to do that. You have children who have done that. You have friends who have done that. And you know the pain of that. You don't want anything to do with that. So how do we protect ourselves from, from that happening to us and the people we love? First of all, examine yourself. That's what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourself as to whether or not you're in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not know yourselves that Christ is in you? The most important thing you can do is do is to make sure that you're truly a Christian. And you're not just a Christian because you grew up in the church. You're not just a Christian because your parents were Christians. You're not just a Christian because you've lived a good life. You're not a Christian because you have served in the church and done great things for God. One of the most sobering passages in the Bible is found in Matthew chapter 7. Here's what it says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many, said Jesus, will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many wonders in your name? And I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye who practice lawlessness. Go back to the second Corinthian passage where it says, Do you not know that Christ is in you? Ask yourself this question. Do you know that Christ is in you? Have you put your trust in him? Are you certain that he is living in your heart? This is not some cultural Christianity. Sometimes people grow up in Christian families and they think, well, my parents are Christian, my brother and sister are Christian, I must be a Christian too. That won't make you a Christian. The most important thing is has there been a time in your life when you personally invited Christ to forgive you of your sins and become your Savior? That's what matters. That is what determines whether you're a true Christian or a Christian in name only. That's the one thing. If you get that straight, you'll never fall away.
Number two, encourage yourself. In 1 Samuel 36, we read this about David. David was in one big mess. He was in a fight for his life. His troops were all fighting with him. They left camp one day. When they came back, all their families had been taken, including their wives and their children. And David's their leader. And you can imagine how that went through the camp. And they hated David. They turned on him. They were going to kill him. He had nobody. He was totally all by himself. And this is what he says. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Well, you not, must not wait for someone to do this for you. This is responsibility yourself. There's something we need to do. First of all, we need to examine ourselves and make sure we're in the faith. You can all do that. In fact, you probably don't have to do much examination at all. You already know. Secondly, encourage yourself. There's not anybody going to rush into your uh, and help you to learn how to do it. You have to do it yourself. Learn how to take care of yourself in the Word of God. Learn how to take yourself in building up the most holy faith. Finally, exercise yourself toward godliness. 1 Timothy 4, 7-8 For bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. If you want to stay confident and strong in your faith, it is important that you keep growing in your faith. Stagnant faith is the devil's playground, and he will fill your heart and mind with doubts. Just when you really need God, it will occur to you that he has not been very important to you late in life. Keep walking with him. Set new goals for the things you, you're going to do with Christ and ask him every door, day, Lord, what can I do for you? How can I put off what you're doing? Show me the way to be involved in this kingdom. John told these people in Ephesus that their faith had grown cold. Is it time for you to do a little self-examination and ask yourself, am I walking like I once did or have allowed these things to push me away? Remember, this is your choice. Jesus is with you. He'll keep you from falling and he will empower you. He has every intention of presenting you faultless before the Father once the, the race comes to an end. So until that moment, just keep running. Don't look back. Don't give up. Commit to building up your faith in the faith of those around you. Now let's listen to Forgive and Sing more and more about Jesus. <laughs>
so much for listening to our podcast today. We trust it was a blessing to you. It makes our day when we hear someone that was blessed by our podcast or music. We'd love to get an email from you. Just send it to glenn.dawson at glenn.dawsonea.com That's G-L-E-N-N dot Dawson at Glenn G-L-E-N-N DawsonEA.com You can find all our information on our website at www.glendawsonea.com In addition to our email, you can find information about our Facebook page and Twitter information. You can also find links to our index of all our podcasts and links to all our music on YouTube. Hope you will enjoy those and remember now we love y'all god be with you and bye for now